Are the expectations way too high? Where do we go from here? The only question, how long can it last? Welcome, everyone, back to Zero to 100. I'm Zach DeSalvo, joined by the guys, Alex Crescenti and Eric Padilla. We also have a returning guest coming on the pod today. Hunter Wish is joining us once again. What's up, fellas? How, how are the three of you doing today? You know, doing, doing pretty good. I mean, just watching some basketball right now as we're doing this. So happy to have Wish back on the show as well. Oh, you know, it just feels great to be back on the show. It really does. A lot to talk about, a lot to, you know, just lay off there, get off the chest. So it feels good to be back with the boys. <laughs> yeah, this week has certainly felt like a, a year with how many things happened inside of it. But uh, yeah, it seems like forever ago we had your wish. But I mean, the world seemed like a different place last time you were on. Yeah, 2020 is pretty much relentless. I mean, you never know what you're going to get these days. So every day... You just got to take it in, really. It does feel like, wasn't it, what, last month I was on the show or two months? But it feels like forever ago now with everything that's happened. So with everything that went on this week in the world, in the sports, in culture, everywhere, it got a little, it got a little worse on Friday night when it was announced that the Black Panther, T'Challa, Jackie Robinson, and many other iconic roles played by Chadwick Boseman. He had passed away at the age of 43, I believe it was. And I got to say, when that news hit me, I was like, this has got to be fake. I don't know how you guys reacted, but I was, I was pretty crushed when I heard that. Yeah, I, it, was, it, was the, it was the same for me too, Alex. I mean, because you turn go back to the news in january of kobe i mean like i was double triple checking like every news source you could possible so when i saw you know the chadwick bozeman thing i was like wait he's only 43 years old uh to my knowledge i thought up until this time that he was in good health you know he was landing excellent roles and just playing the hell out of his characters and then all of a sudden you, you find out that news that he's been dealing with colon cancer for the past i believe four years and still doing those main lead roles it's truly remarkable, but at the same time, just so sad knowing that, especially in his Black Panther role, giving so many young Black kids an idol to look up to and so much excitement through that film. Um, and now hearing him passing away is just another huge blow um, to 2020 once again, just being relentless. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with Chris Enny, uh being a Marvel fan and everything. He was, I guess he was kind of like the first of his kind as like a superhero role. Um, not so much because he was African-American and the rest of them are typically white, but it was just because that movie was more than just super, like a superhero movie. It had, it meant a lot more obviously to a bigger community, which is African-American community. And I don't know, it's, it's hard. Uh, I didn't believe it. I just kind of read it and I was just like, come on, man, like things just keep piling on this year and it doesn't seem to stop. But it is definitely a huge blow for Marvel fans, his family, his friends, just really anybody that was a fan of his movies. Yeah, it did kind of remind me a lot of uh, of everything that happened with Kobe because you you see the headline pop up and it just doesn't seem real because and you know when especially when these things happen so quickly and 
shout out to, you know, everyone in his kind of inner circle for never, it's amazing that we never got a leaked information that he was battling colon cancer. And I think just kind of goes to show you that you never really know what people are going through. Um, I mean, I remember for a while, like he was kind of getting made fun of on the internet and people were saying he was like doing drugs or something because it looked like he had lost a lot of weight. And now turns out that was probably due to him, you know, getting like chemotherapy. So you never know what people are fighting. So I think it's just kind of a good lesson to, you know, to, to kind of leave people be and, and not to, you know, make fun of them when you don't really know the situation. With, the drawing of the comparisons with Kobe at the beginning of this year and then losing Chadwick. I mean, you saw just the outpouring of support and it was nothing but positivity that I saw. I couldn't find a bad thing said about him in the last 72 hours or so. And I'm looking at the tweet that came from his account from, I assume the publicist or the family members. And right now it's sitting at 7.1 million likes and 3.1 million retweets would, would wow. make it one of the biggest tweets of all time. And I think that just goes to show the, the reach that he had on the world as itself. And I guess the heartbreaking part is he was just getting his career started, right? His big breakout role was in 2013 uh, for 42. And then he just got bigger and bigger from there. And I think it was pretty apparent that Marvel was going to make him the guy for the next 10 years in the MCU. And so that's what's just sort of of gutting. It's like, oh, this bright star, the flame out too early, right? And, you know, he'd only been a star for, you know, five, six years. And we feel like we were cheated out of so much more. But yeah, Kriseni, I definitely agree with what you said. Um, There was a lot of like, like on the news and everything, like you see it on Twitter, you kind of see all of his kind of um, like accepting awards and his speeches and everything that he talks about. Um, He never once really talks about the movies at all. He kind of talks about basically what they were like trying, like the point that they were trying to get across, especially with like Black Panther and stuff. He didn't care about the money. He didn't really care about how popular it was. He just hoped that everybody kind of got the same message like the message that they were trying to portray through that movie and stuff and so with him i think that's really that's really big uh really um unselfish and yeah like you said he's been fighting this for i think they said it was four years and um just kind of looking at everything through social media you kind of see like you see some videos of him at children's hospitals um, just hanging out with kids with cancer and all that kind of stuff like there was an interview I saw yesterday where he kind of gets choked up because it was when he was it was leading up to the Black Panther movie and he had some kids that were just excited to watch it and a couple of them were actually like writing him letters and he found out that two of the kids actually passed away before the movie actually came out and so it like it made a little bit more sense of like not not so much because he was just helping these kids but he had probably more of a reason because he was obviously probably dealing he was dealing with the exact same thing so yeah like zach said we don't really know what people are going through and so i mean i applaud him for what everything that he did when he was doing all this so yeah that's crazy and crazy that he did all that filming while fighting this stuff i mean i guess they probably were done with 
Black Panther before all this happened, but I mean, you just like the filming for some of the Avengers movies. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that 21 Bridges movie that he's in, but I mean, he that had to have been like in the midst of his fight with cancer that he was still able to do all this. So, I mean, huge props to him to be able to fight through that and still create some awesome movies for everyone. Yeah, you, you think about especially <clears throat> the Black Panther role and how I mean, that's a physically demanding role and bulking up and getting into that size to really fit the realm of, you know, your heroes is typically really ripped. Um, and so that interview that he had, I don't know if you guys saw from 2017, where um, the gentleman asked him that he, he looks a little bit exhausted about, you know, the bulking he had to do for the movie. And he, he replies, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then said, asked him, like, you've been through the ringer. And then he said, he's laughed and he said, oh, you don't even know. You have no idea. One day I'll live to tell the story. So you know, pulling from that, I think that was in the midst of his cancer, 2017. Uh, geez, I just couldn't even imagine, like, the, the stress for him on his body, the fatigue, and still continuing to just have that positive light and, and do what he loved and, and give the people what they wanted in terms of films. So, I mean, just tremendous work ethic. Maybe before we wrap up this segment, do you just want to go around and maybe share a favorite scene from one of his movies? I know, Zach, maybe, I don't know if you'd uh, be down with the MCU necessarily, but uh, <laughs> you want to just go around and share a favorite scene from uh, one of his movies? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Start it off, Kristen. I mean, I think my favorite was, and I get chills every time I see it, was it was in Black Panther towards the end of the movie when Killmonger is dispatching all the agents to Hong Kong, London, and I think it was New York. And then as the ships are taking off, one of them crashes. And then there's T'Challa in the wreckage. And he's saying, uh, you know, challenges and over. As you can see, I'm not dead. And uh, that was just, that was such a cool scene. I think for me, uh, obviously all of Black Panther, I thought was amazing. But I think for me, it's like what you just said a little bit ago. He was supposed to be the guy moving forward with Captain America and obviously Iron Man kind of drifting away from from Marvel. It's the scene in Endgame where um, Captain America kind of gets the on your left mm-hmm. from Falcon, and the first person to come out of mm. that like ring is is the Black Panther, and just like just watching him walk out, you kind of like see that like exactly what you said, like he's the first one out. And it just kind of felt like, okay, this guy is the one that's going to take the next step and he's going to be the one that's going to lead this whole team. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was definitely playing off that Eric. I, I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes because um, in the uh, Avengers infinity war, when uh, <laughs> he, I think he, I can't remember the woman's name who's pretty much like his prime uh, bodyguard, you know, he's about to pick her up and say, come, this isn't a place to die. And then all of a sudden he just, uh, disappears into dust my mouth was just wide open and I kept telling my friends like this can't be real like my man's is not dead this is my guy the Black Panther like he doesn't just go into dust like that and then to see him in Endgame come back um, just with the whole squad ready to run Thanos's set was just had me on my feet <laughs> yeah that Infinity War scene was pretty shocking because you're like he just got here and that's what I'm yeah. saying exactly I was like you cannot be doing this to him this does not work this guy almost died in his own movie and now he just goes in the dust <laughs> yeah i guess uh for mine i like 
I know I'm not the biggest Marvel fan and it, you know, I know you guys are worried about him disappearing to dust. I knew he was coming back. It's too predictable, but uh, I just, I I actually, I actually did really enjoy the, uh, the Black Panther like as its own movie um, because I thought it was a lot more creative and different than kind of the usual Marvel scene. But I just think that, I think it's the very end of the movie when, you know, he's talking to like the little kid in that parking lot and just was kind of a cool, representation of you know little kids being able to look up to him as a hero i mean it was obviously like a little black kid so i think like that was just kind of cool symbolism for what they obviously hoped would be a huge role for the future maybe an underrated role that everyone forgets about i mean I'm obviously he was jackie robinson thurgood marshall uh t'challa but maybe the one that was the most important of all he was the savior of the cleveland browns he was the number one pick in the draft back in 2014 if you guys forget Oh, dra- the draft day movie. Draft day. <laughs> Montez Mack. If you needed someone to do a biopic, I mean, Chadwick Boseman was your man. I thought you were about to say he was Jim Brown, put, you know, Padilla's coach of the year. <laughs> you probably would have played that too. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> All right, listeners, so we've got a new segment for you that we want to be trying out. This segment's going to be called Take and Bake, where we let you listeners get high off of our takes for, you know, whatever is happening in the world right now. So we all kind of fire off some topics and see what the guys have to think. You guys ready for this? Oh, yeah, let's get it going. All right. So the first one, uh, the first one is going to be kind of a sports type topic. So this one is the Lakers and Blazers series came to a close in five games. And, you know, it seemed like there were some, some people in the media that either thought this was going to be a seven game series, or there were even some people predicting the, the, that the Lakers were going to lose to the Blazers. So wish, are you surprised that the Lakers took down the Blazers in five? No, I'm not surprised. Actually. I, I, you know, for the record, I really do respect um, the Blazers team in itself. I don't, However, have always had beef with when it comes to Blazers fans as why it's a liability for me to go out to the bars here to watch games. So I stay inside where it's safe and try to stay off Twitter as much as possible. Um, so after that first game one, I mean, it was just, you know, a total spectacle. I mean, the news media was eating it up. I was getting tagged and tweets by by people saying that the Blazers were going to win this now. And, you know, they probably doing it for grins. They knew that they were going to meet their maker. The chickens always come home to roost. So I knew what the Lakers had in store. You can't beat LeBron James in a series. And it happened. And what happened last night, as McGregor has always said to his opponents, they went running. Uh, The Blazers fans, they went, they went running and they didn't come back. They didn't tag (laughs) me in tweets. They didn't have any response to it anymore. So much love to the Blazers. I love Carmelo Anthony balling out last night specifically just because it's good to see him get his footing back and be, you know, taken seriously once again as a, as one of the, I think definitely a, a great player of our generation. Um, but all in all, you know, it, it, this Lakers team's serious. I and mean, we mean business. Uh, they really turned it up to notch after game one. Uh, I, I read multiple articles, listened to multiple podcasts after game one to see what happened. And I was ready for game two. And it was just all gas, no breaks. And, you know, they continue to go running, but I'm still here. So, Lake show, baby. Round two. We're ready. Yeah, Padilla, you were saying that you thought the Lakers would sweep the Blazers. So you were pretty close to spot on considering the one game the Blazers won was close and the rest were kind of blowouts. What did you think? Are, are the Lakers looking back to normal now? Uh, I mean, LeBron and AD are looking back to normal. The rest of the team still got to figure out how to hit some shots. But, I mean, yeah, I'm not 
I mean, I'm a little surprised that it went to five games because obviously I was saying it was going to be a sweep. But I was a little bit more upset that I did not get to see Wish and Blazers fans actually battle it out on Twitter like they normally do during the regular season. So that kind of sucked. That's what I was hoping for in this series, not so much to watch the game. But just yeah, to they watch. went running. They went running. After <laughs> there wasn't one, much to talk running. about after that second game. <laughs> you know, they were making bets with me under the uh, under the table, and I collected eighty dollars off that. So they went oh, running after game in. one. Yeah. So you know, it is. I, we would like to see some more fireworks, getting my blood pressure a little more higher up if uh, the Blazers won an, another game in that series. But it never happened, and I think the the Blazers fans they knew they knew where to stand, and they wanted to. To catch that smoke, I was all about it. I'm on Twitter 24-7. I don't clock out. <laughs> Crescenti, is, uh, is your guy playoff LeBron back now? What do you think? I mean, this is 14-0 in the first round. Is he coming for the throne still? Well, before I get into that, I know, Zach, you're big on Heat Twitter. Is Blazers Twitter a thing? Oh, it doesn't compare to Heat Twitter. I know that. Um, no, is LeBron back? Uh, I would say, LeBron, do it against a real team because <laughs> – you had wow you're gonna say that to your own blazers chris those are your guys hang on now hang on now the blazers were a wounded animal in after that memphis game you had cj mccollum with broken bones in his back you had zach collins out for a majority of that series lillard was pretty hurt uh it was very obvious and he he wasn't even there for game five so you know had the Blazers been healthy, I think this could have gone game six or game seven, but you know. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that game five, the, the roster that the Blazers put out in game five was probably worse than even the Magic. So I don't know what you can say. I, I, it's not like the, Bla- or the Lakers shot very well in that series, and if they had to go up against Houston, I'd be a little concerned uh, if I was the Lakers fans right now, knowing that with how <sighs> bad you are in that statistical. Any, did, the, did the Houston Rockets play defense? No. Nah. Does James Harden play defense? Yeah, does, bro, anyone match up from, does anyone on the Rockets <laughs> match up with Anthony Davis? Look up no. their defensive efficiency. They are first right now in the playoffs. Suck it. They, they live and die by the three. The Lakers will contain that. Did the Lakers have a good defensive game? Lakers can't even Absolutely hit a three. Not. Lakers oh can't even gosh. hit a three. Game, so what happened when we won by plus 35 points? We were up with 80 points at a half, I believe, after a game game three it was so I don't understand about this shooting stump that we have continually continued to correct um the Lakers defense is one of the best right now in the playoffs you cannot beat Mr. LeBron James in a playoff series four times in a row I'm sorry you can't well I mean the Lakers gave up 70 points to a Lillardless team yesterday so like I said defensively was not there. I also predicted that Carmelo and CJ would have spectacular games, knowing that they had a bigger weight to carry for the team, knowing that Damon Lillard was out. Agree with you on that. I do not believe that if we go up against the Houston Rockets, while I think the series will be entertaining, if the Lakers' defense is on for that series, which I believe it will be, it will be extremely hard for the Rockets to capitalize on that. Wait, yeah, the Lakers seem like they're struggling to keep it turned on right now is really the only issue. But when they do, they – I mean, like, I think you got to look at games two through four of that series when the Lakers were really kind of, you know, full gas. And at those times, even with Dame playing in all those games, like, they looked pretty solid and like they're back. So, Houston's definitely a whole other animal, but it, it seems like they're at least coming out of their slump a little bit that they had going on in the, in the scrimmage games. Wish, did you say that LeBron's never been beaten four games in a row in the playoffs? 
No, no, sir. Now you're sounding like Fox <laughs> News. I said <laughs> that it's very difficult to beat Mr. LeBron James in a four playoff series. It doesn't okay. happen often. You cannot beat Mr. LeBron James in a playoff series four times in a row. No, no. Steph Curry yeah, you need Steph Curry. like five Hall of Famers to do it usually. <laughs> yeah, Chris uh second favorite team, probably the Warriors, when Kevin Durant was on there and everyone else. The All-Star. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, uh, I mean, look out, playoff P from tonight's game, six for 19, <laughs> 15 points. He's coming for you, Wish. Playoff P coming for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Spare me. Are they, what's, the, what's the update on that? I haven't been following that game. That was Clippers the, that just was closed it out. Oh, they just won? Yeah. yeah. Mm, cowards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now the listeners are nice and high. Let's bring on the second part of the uh, take and bake. Okay. So uh, this one is related to food and the fast food industry, which we love to talk about on this podcast. Uh, so KFC announced that they are no longer using their slogan, finger looking good because of COVID. So guys, what do you think about this? Padilla, does this hurt to see KFC is no longer using that slogan? No, I just don't get it though. Just because of COVID, <laughs> like what? You don't want to encourage people to lick their hands, I guess. Like it, I, I don't oh. know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when I, I guess when I eat KFC, I do not lick my hands whatsoever. <laughs> I just, I will wipe them with a napkin. I'm, I'm not a grease ball. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, Unless so you I get, don't think that their fried chicken's finger looking good. It, I mean, it's it's all right, but at the same time, it's got me running to the bathroom most of the time. So, oh god, if I if I'm sitting there in a KFC, uh, I would never be caught dead sitting there in a KFC. But if I was, and I see you licking your fingers, then you're gonna have to go like touch the the handle, or to get to the bathroom, you're gonna have to touch the handle, and like. Uh, in normal situations pre-COVID, like I, that's disgusting either way. Like, yeah, get rid of that <laughs> slogan. I don't want you licking your fingers. <laughs> oh, I bet you're getting nasty with the KFC chicken crescenti shirt off, licking it off your chest and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, don't even play. I know there's a there's a uh, an alter ego when it comes to KFC for you, sir. I mean, only if it's a fish fillet from McDonald's. I mean, <laughs> oh, oh god, I'll lick the grease off those buns. That's for sure. <laughs> I think you bring up a good point with the whole like licking the fingers thing though. Like I know for me, uh, one thing that I always would do, like when you're in the grocery store looking at the produce and need those little bags for the vegetables, you, you know, you kind of like lick your fingers to separate them. Like we can't do that anymore. It's kind of a, it's kind of odd times. I never really? You can't separate that? You idiot. You got to have gotta a wet fingers. <laughs> Here's a life hack for the listeners greasy. though. Here's a life hack. All you got to do is just kind of wipe your hand on the wet vegetables and then separates right like there. So he's just touching the vegetables that he doesn't intend. Yeah, come on, guy. It's the ones you're going to buy. You touch them, throw them in your bag, wash them when you get home. Fresh veggies. Okay, listeners, third and final uh, take and bake for the day. So a sad one for all of our Coog fans out there. Mike's, also known as uh, Stubblefields, announced that they are closing uh, their doors permanently. So a huge loss for the WCU community. Kriseni, how how have you feeling today that Mike's is closing? It's more like a bittersweet feeling. I was never a huge Stubblefields fan. Obviously, um, some of the greatest memories were uh, the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. You know, you and I were there together for that one. And then, you know, how many countless times after a a football game on a Saturday night, you go down there and just, uh, you you know, either drink your sorrows away most of the time and sometimes uh, with a win. But uh, 
I, I was never fun. I know you guys are more, much more fond of this place than, than I was. You got Goldfinger bumping, celebrate good times after the, after the football team walks mm. in. Mm. Padilla, what about you? How are you feeling now that, that we'll know whenever you go back into Mike's again? Uh, it's, it's sad. It's sad, man. Um, I, it was another thing I didn't think was real. I thought it was kind of, <laughs> kind of just some fake news. Was, I mean, really wasn't surprised that it got closed down. Like, I mean, it's a pretty grimy place, but it's also <laughs> an, it's an amazing place. But um, yeah, it's just sad. I mean, obviously we had stubby Tuesdays that we did, but yeah, like you guys said, that was like the last spot we would hit at the end of the night. Let's go to Mike's. Let's go dance in the cages before we go mm. to bed. Mm. And just, I mean, and for you, Zach, like, I mean, walking out out of Mike's, you're right there at Tin Tans. Straight into tacos. That's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it sucks. I don't really know how, how those students there are going to deal with it because obviously that was one of like the three main places on campus right there. So uh, I don't know. I, I've been seeing snaps <laughs> during the weekend. Like my cousin goes there right now and he's been just stubby glassing it for four days now. Like the kids Better not move. stop. They're insane right now. They're, they're living it up over there. And I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome. It's great to see just go out with one big old bang. <laughs> yeah, man, if we didn't have to do this pod this weekend, I might've taken a trip over to Pullman just to hit it one last time. Man. Wish, what do you think? Ah, it's just such a big blow. Uh, I honestly loved Mike's, loved Mike's. Uh, just that, that aura when you step down in the basement and it's just sweaty, it's humid down there, it's packed, drinks spilling everywhere. And, you know, those are the parts that I just loved. Just, it's just nasty down there. People are in the cages. Ah, you hear DJ Tommy Gunn's voice at least 500,000 times mm -hmm. off of every song playing. Goldfinger playing the same mix he played last weekend. But every time he played it, I loved it every time. Kept getting uh, better somehow. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> every time I heard that track, like when Bodak Yellow played, I said, you need to spread out for me because I'm just going to start jumping. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, <laughs> Mike's is just a, a place. I mean, you have... Stubby Tuesday, you had Wing Wednesday. Um, if you're Kersenny, you would go to the 18 and older Thursday night and then go back. <laughs> Hang around in the no booze section. <laughs> you go in on Fridays. And then, I mean, after football games, I thought it was cool because a lot of the football players would come down. Unfortunately, I wasn't there when Minchu played, but I heard when he would go to Stubby's, it was just created a totally different atmosphere because that guy was a god so him and mike's underground i'm sure had the place oh, just going crazy and electric right and i just want to add too i mean out of my two years traveling to over you know 45 college campuses and, and, and visiting bars and going out there was never a place that would match mike's tempo specifically like on a stubby tuesday like i've i've been to places that done in like an old-fashioned night where drinks are like a dollar um jail shots are like 25 cents but nothing that matched the magnitude of like a stubby tuesday class i think that is just a genius concept and the idea that and it only took well for me it was like one and a half and you know i'm seeing fours but you know you get some guys <laughs> doing two three and just the amount of debauchery going on i mean those are memories that call kook students now are just never going to be able to live and hopefully after covid it it, uh, it makes an appearance again. I, I just can't, I can't believe that this would actually happen for longevity and nothing gets to fill that void. 
it was amazing yeah. because this bar is sort of the tale of two stories, literally. On the first upper story, it's sort of like a, almost like a sports bar feel to it. You know, you can tell it's not the, maybe the cleanest place in the world. But then when you descend down the stairs, <laughs> you get this sense of dread and you're like, it's that musky kind of- The sp- musk hits you. Oh, yes. Hits you and- oh, <laughs> you're going down it the air gets heavy and you're like oh, am i sweating and if you make it down those stairs without falling you know it's <laughs> gonna be a good night oh god just that you're just walking down the stairs of sin and it just feels amazing to go down there and, and witness just the outlanders activity so many idiots down there but idiots all together in one place you can't beat it and if you're the fortunate stairs- enough to to be coherent enough to kind of recognize what's happening when they turn the lights on at 2 a.m. too that kind of oh. <laughs> the lights come on and everyone's like squinty eyes and you're just like oh my god where are we and then the the army of people kind of crawling out all the exits it's just you've got real issues if you stayed there long enough for them to turn the lights on oh oh, oh it was every oh, saturday <laughs> oh when those lights turn on i just came to my senses going what am i doing here and then it's time to walk back or try to go into the line of tin tans Usually that was way too long, but oh gosh, when those lights turned on, man, you just start looking around going, damn, I got to get the lights, home. The lights turn on and I feel like everybody just kind of like automatically just starts walking out the door. It's not like, oh, what's the plan? Yeah, it's not like, what's the plan after this? It's lights are on, you leave. You don't, yeah, want to see like, what's, you don't want to see what's happening in there. You're, you're, you're scurrying away. It's like a raccoon that comes in your backyard and the, 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 the floodlight comes on and it just dips. I can only imagine what it's like for the person that has to mop that floor. Ooh. Yeah, that's got to – I, I kind of feel like they just, like, run – they pull a hose in there and just spray it down because they got all those drains. Oh, they so. have to. I was going to say, for you guys, uh, what's your guys' like, favorite memory from, from Mike's? I'm trying to think if it was um, when we beat USC or Boise State – Oh God, it could have been both of them, but there is just one of those times after a big win um, that everyone just stampeded mics and just the atmosphere. And I think, again, this is when like Cardi B, as Denzel says, I love Cardi B. When Bodak Yellow came on, ooh, after a good coup win, uh, I'm pretty sure I took my shirt off one of those parts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Speaking of women, I guess I did basically meet my, my current girlfriend there. So found love wow. in, in Stubblefield's basement, <laughs> met her briefly at Fiji's, and then we, we hit the bars and it was, this deal was sealed from there. That's powerful, Zach. Yeah, it's profound. Hey, uh, before we finish this one, if you guys don't mind, I've, uh, I've written a little poem for, for Stubblefield's as a goodbye. Mm, bring it home. Let's hear it. Rest in peace to Stubblefield's, also known to many Cougs as Mike's. You gave us stubby Tuesday, wing Wednesday, and good times alike. We could always count on you as a great place to rage. Nobody ever forgets the first moment they stepped into that cage. Thank Mm. you for the stubby glass, that beautiful $6.48 ounce chalice, filled with Long Island's vodka sodas, kamikazes, as we danced in your palace. Mm. What I wouldn't give for a basket of remixed wings, even just one bite, or the sound of a stubby glass shattering on the floor every Tuesday night. We'll never forget DJ Goldfinger, Devin, or DJ Tommy Guns. <laughs> raised all of us partiers as if we were your daughters and sons. The speakers were blaring, your song selection just a delight. But then we hear you announce over the speakers, it's some girl's birthday night. 
You turn down the music with the flip of a switch as you yell into the microphone one time for the birthday bit. You opened your doors to all, poured liquor in our cup. You even dedicated a night to the youngsters, Thursdays, 18 and up. <laughs> but as you announced last week, it's time for your doors to close for good. Thank you so much for creating the, the craziest college bar that no one else ever could. So Cougs, raise your stubby glass wherever you are tonight. Because one last time at 2 a.m., DJ Goldfinger turns off that basement light. That was powerful, Mike. Zach. That was good. I love you, DJ Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and before we leave, I mean, DJ Goldfinger in himself, I mean, and, uh, guy is just an absolute character, but I love him. And I just love the <laughs> fact that for so long, I always wondered, man, what is under that bandana? Yes, it was just yes. a, it was such a long conspir conspiracy. And then one day I saw it off and he just had that blonde hair. I was like, wow. So that's what's been under that motherfucker's head the whole time. Yeah, he's a big fan of Cisco, I guess. Okay, gotta give it up to Cisco. Didn't Cisco make the thong song? That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, listeners, well, uh, send us in your questions and topics, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll address them next time on Take and Bake. All right, everyone. So kind of big news across sports, I guess, with a lot of, you know, players across the leagues have been protesting and striking in their in the various sports they've been playing. So last Wednesday, it kind of started everything off. We had the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic were supposed to play their game five, but it was postponed because, you know, the Bucks or the team from Milwaukee were boycotting the game to the, you know, the 29 year old man, Jacob Blake, who was shot in the back by a Wisconsin police officer seven times. Um, and he has survived, and he's, he's still in the hospital recovering. But, you know, later that day, the, the Thunder and Rockets and the Lakers Blazers also followed suit. And, uh, you know, they decided to protest their games as well. Um, and, you know, it sounded like, you know, throughout the, the next couple of days in sports, I mean, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but other leagues were also doing this. The WNBA, the MLB, I think the NHL did a couple, you know, different types of protests. And even like Major League Tennis were all boycotting in solidarity for – you know, just another case of police brutality against unarmed black men. So I think before we get into with you guys, um, with, you know, the protests and kind of the results and the things that came from it, I want to get your reactions just to the incident with Jacob Blake. Cause I know, I know we've all kind of wanted to talk about this and haven't had a chance yet. I guess I'll push it over to you first, Wish. What was kind of your initial reaction with everything going on and, and what's been on your mind with that? Yeah, um, and, and I actually have a substantial amount that I want to say in terms of, um, you know, the, the strike that happened within the NBA and the, and the WNBA that really ignited the fuse, but I could get into that later. I think more specifically on the, the situation again, I mean, uh, here we are once again, you know, we talked about when I first came on the show, um, I believe it was now late May, we were just talking about the George Floyd incident and still occurring with Breonna Taylor and so many more victim, black victims that have fallen um, fault to to police officers and police brutality in, in, in the events of systemic racism. And then it, once again, we see a video in which we see Jacob Blake walking to his car. Um, do we know why? Does not matter. Uh, the point of the matter is that he was still shot seven times in the back. Um, for really, we, we really don't know the reason, uh, other to the fact that they um, saw another black man as a threat um, and didn't didn't think to subdue him before getting to his car why would you let him go to his car if there was a threat there um why would you even give him the chance just to shoot him seven times 
it's just another reminder of being black in America and that anxiety that it has and that this change has still yet to come and the reform that we want. Um, and it's just really sad that the incidents have played after that um, within Kenosha. Um, you know, the two protesters who were killed uh, by a 17 year old right wing uh, militia um, who ended up killing two protesters. So within that, uh, just moving forward, I think it's just another sad traumatic events. I mean, when I heard the news, I, you know, I just got this really mental tired feeling of just continuing to feel tired of, of seeing these headlines and continuing to voice about why Black Lives Matter, why this is important, why we need reform, why um, accountability is such a big thing that continues to lack um, within our police departments. Um, so it's just very tiresome. Uh, but I really loved what I saw out of both the WNBA and the NBA that really was the fuse to, to ignite it. And I'll get into more of that um, once I hear everyone else's opinions about what transpired. When I'm watching that video, you're looking at the officers and they seem to, I don't know, just be taking their sweet, precious time until he gets over to the side door there. And then you see him, the officer, unload seven rounds into him. And throw out race for just one second here, and we're still at a bad place in terms of police and their training. Why is it that the first instinct is to go for the gun? The gun is a last-ditched resort, right? It should never, it should be the last effort that you use they are trained to use for tasers and i'm sure that is used daily across the nation and we don't really see some videos but the problem is with every video that we see here it is that they are not going for the taser which is a non-lethal way to subdue a subject and the problem is their first instinct is to go for that deadly use weapon and you have to sit there and question why like, do you really view him as that much of a threat there? And I believe, forget, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was originally a domestic uh, call. We need to be doing a better job of, do the police need to be coming out for certain domestic incidences, mental health incidents? We, we've been over this many times before here, and it just feels that we're, we're back to square one after months and months of these protests and i know we can get into you know um the protests that have you know turned violent here you know uh days later there but it's just like ha ha have we made any actual progress as a nation and i don't know yeah it's um it's sad i mean it's like wish said i mean for me it's it's same shit different day it's these things keep popping up every day, like basically every day. And it's just, it's hard to see, especially cause we're getting now with social media and everything, you're getting videos. Like people are catching all these things and everybody gets to witness it. And the one thing that kind of pisses me off is more of the people that are like, who's basically they're trying to figure out who's in the right and who's in the wrong. I think right when you're watching that, you don't have to think about that. You just got to look at it. And it's just like, you probably just, you just witnessed someone die. Like, even if they were in the wrong, like, still, there's, there's like a ton of videos coming out now of 
a lot of white people attacking police officers and the police officers aren't doing anything to them. So it's, I don't know, it like people don't like to hear it. People like to just kind of ignore the whole race card and all that kind of stuff when it comes to these types of situations. But it's to the point to where you can't ignore it anymore. If you are ignoring it, you're ignorant, you're a f- idiot. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's becoming too much. It's becoming normal now with all these kinds of things happening. And it's, I mean, as pissed as I am with these police and not having the proper training, I'm more mad at the people that are trying to like, just um, argue it and just kind of like put their own perspective into it and disagree with other people and have an argument about it. It's just like, that's not the point of these. Like someone just died and people are, aren't even talking about that. They're trying to figure out was the cop right or was the cop wrong? Like all these kinds of things. And it sucks. I mean, especially during a fucking pandemic too. And this stuff mm-hmm. just keeps happening and happening. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon. And right now in our country, we don't have the greatest leader to get us past all this kind of stuff. And he's just kind of putting fuel into the fire and making things worse along with these other people that just, just don't agree with the people that are saying black lives matter. Like the ones that are saying all lives matter. They just, they just either don't understand or they don't want to understand. It's, I mean, it's hard to get through to people and some people are really stubborn and they just want to believe what they want to believe. So, I mean, we don't, you don't want to get, to every you don't want to get through to everybody but at the same time you want people to actually understand and see actually what's going on in this world yeah i think that's what's been so frustrating about the whole thing you kind of i know a lot of you guys kind of hit on this but just like not the fact that this keep well i mean part of it the fact that this keeps happening over and over again but then like the initial reaction to it when after it's over is like you know, you have people coming out and being like, oh, well, there was like a warrant for his arrest. And, you know, they found a knife in the car. And it's like, that doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't justify someone being shot in the back. I mean, like, I have like a pocket knife in my car. So the things like that are just so stupid. And it is really frustrating to see. I, I don't know if it is just like ignorance, or if it's, you know, I think a lot of it is just kind of the hate in people's heart. And they, they, you know, you have the people that read out the stupid statistics that are like, oh, well, only like, you know, whatever small percent of these are actually people getting killed. And it's like, that's just such a dumb way to look at it when, you know, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're brown, like there is clearly an issue with police brutality in our country, you know, no matter the color of your skin. But if you are black, it's significantly worse for you. So, you know, Kriseni, I think you bring up, did we make any progress? And all this stuff that's happened after George Floyd, but then, you know, here we are again, three months later, and it seems like we haven't been able to really move forward at all. Yeah. And I think with you bring up, you know, not making any progress, I think it's because people are so dug in their trenches on their sides. And the only thing sadder than the event itself is the response to this event. And what I'm kind of observing from a lot of people is it's almost like rooting for a sports team now. We've taken the humanity out of these situations. There is no sense of morality and feeling sorrow for the victims in these incidents, right? And so it's almost like I'm not going to be – it's almost like Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter. 
almost like a sports team, right? It, it unfortunately is what it sort of turned into. It's like, oh, you're a Black Lives Matter. What are you, a Marxist? Uh, even though most people don't even know what Marxism is, right? right. And then and you see with, you know, uh, you bring up Trump and the leadership here. You know, obviously he is way in over his head. He has no idea what to do. And he's very clearly, you know, what you saw the response at the RNC this week, he is, it's very clear what side he's on, you know, and they're going full on, okay, we're going to go Blue Lives Matter. But it feels like a sports team. I'm not going to be able to convince you, Wish, to give up your fandom of the Lakers, and no one's going to be able to give, give up my fandom of like the Panthers. Even mm-hmm. though I feel like if we had a bunch of our team, if a bunch of players on the teams were a bunch of, you know, scumbags, we'd be like, hey, maybe I need to check, you know, being a fan here for at least this season or whatnot. I, I don't know. That's just my observation. It feels like it's turned into a blood sport. Yeah. And, and I think, Christina, you made a great point there when you did the correlation of, of sports teams. And this is something that I've been thinking about heavily. And I, and I posted on this about the on my Instagram. It's this country has a hard time. I think a lot of people in this country have a hard time in giving constructive criticism or making changes or being outspoken. So in the instance of Black Lives Matter and um, raising um, the awareness of the systemic racism that continues to persist in this country ever since slavery that has continued to happen from slavery, Jim Crow, um, to now within the criminal justice system and the, and the mass populations within our prisons, um, every time that it gets called out, we're then subject of being anti-American. No, when you have a sports team that you really love, for instance, I love the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm also heavily critical of the Los Angeles Lakers. I expect them to have a, a certain status to them. I expect them to play hard every single game. And when they don't, I'm going to critique them. I'm going to critique players that aren't playing well, as you should when you love a team so much. So when you want to love this country and you want to see it prosper, you have to have constructive criticism for it. With our law enforcement that is supposed to protect the community, you have to have constructive criticism for them. And it is upon police officers to be outspoken and to call out ill practices or practices that are subjecting systemic racism that we're continuously seeing. So when the um, Kenosha sheriff continues to denounce what has happened to Jacob Blake or um, says that it was okay for that that 17-year-old to walk away from Wisconsin police after killing two people, that's an issue and that goes across the country because people are seeing this and saying well boy law enforcement continues to protect people that have done bad things you're supposed to be outspoken how does that create unity when you are backing someone who just killed two protesters and you let him walk away or even saying that you haven't seen the jacob blake video the the video in itself um it's a problem Uh, and it's a big problem with professionalism and just that mentality that regardless of what your fellow law enforcement officer does, we will ride with him um, regardless what his actions were. And that's, I think, the biggest issue. And people now saying back the blue, um, we're going to ride with them for whatever. No, you have to be, you have to get, get a better lens, a bigger lens of seeing like there's issues at stake here. Lives are being lost. Uh, little black brown children are growing up being scared of this department that's supposed to protect them. Uh, and that's what we have to take into, into account. And unfortunately, within this country, um, that constructive criticism piece it, it, it is very difficult to fathom. And unfortunately, the leader of our, our country has a very hard time when criticism, criticism is given to him. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a very unfortunate situation. And, you know, coming from a family of being biracial, you know, there is always that anxiety uh, of law enforcement and that, that worry. So uh, 
very, very tough situation right now. And I just hope that we can have a better understanding and actually look at it in a bit in, in a larger scope than just being so focused on one lens and not being able to go outside your own boundaries. I think that's got it. That's the biggest issue that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, criticism of the country is all of a sudden turned into making you anti-American when mm-hmm. it really is the opposite. I mean, I, I think people criticize America because they do love the country and they know that we're better than this. So when you see these things happening and you call it out, you expect that, that it's something that can change. And I think, you know, kind of transitioning to what the NBA players did, like, I think part of why the protests happened was because like, you know, these players are stuck in the bubble and they see everything happen. Like, you know, they see the video of Jacob Blake, obviously, but then, you know, they see all the reaction on social media and they hear all these voices of people that are trying to justify it. And, and to say negative things about it and to try and, you know, bash the person that is the victim in the situation. And I think those things just kind of become so, so heavy for these players to have to deal with it. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe now we kind of transition into like the out or the protest itself. What did you guys think of, you know, how the NBA players handled it? Just kind of the entire process of them kind of getting to the eventual outcomes that they got. Yeah, well, so, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, the NBA's the protests that they had, I, I initially, um, from the reports after I dug deeper into the articles, you know, I was at work and, and found out the Bucks weren't playing and that they, they started, um, I, I believe it was really a strike because um, I think it was to really grab owners' attention. I don't know if they really had that attention at first. It seemed like they were just trying to put some more pressure on uh, elected officials within Wisconsin, which I thought was, was really cool to see. Um, but then we started, of course, uh, started getting a lot of um, bad critiques, like saying this isn't the right way to, pro- to protest, they're privileged, um, they needed to switch their platforms, they need to stick to, board, to stick to sports, you know, the classic shut up and dribble, that type of uh, dialogue that really bothers me. Um, so I wanted to take this time and dig up some history on the protests that have happened within sports that have continued continue to be ridiculed of not being the right form of protest. Um, so taking it back to 1968, you have John Carlos um, and you have Tommy Smith. Uh, John Carlos ended up being the bronze medalist for the 200 meter. Uh, Tommy Smith ended up taking gold, um, both black men. And this was the Olympics in Mexico. Um, and for what they did at the podium, they both raised black, black power fist with a uh, black glove on, as well as taking off their shoes um, to raise against injustice of black body, uh, the injustice happening against black bodies in America. This is in 1968. With that being that form of protest, using their platform to raise awareness of the problems that continued to get ignored, um, they were shunned, ridiculed, and were told that this was the wrong way to use their platform. Medals were stripped, and this was told that it was the wrong battlefield for their protest. Um, I don't know um, if they were able to get their medals back, but I do know that it was a, a very long process um, and being shunned away from that, only because they raised the Black Power Fist and to raise awareness that continued to get ignored. We fast forward to Colin Kaepernick in 2016. Cap starts kneeling during the national anthem to, prote- to protest police brutality and social injustice happening against black and brown bodies. Again, shunned, the president of the United States calls him a son of a bitch and told this is the wrong way to protest. Ultimately, within this form of protest, this gained, this gained traction um, across all professional sports, paving the way for athletes to continue to protest, hoping to shed light on the contingent issues that stay in the country. Um, now we go into Wednesday, August 26, and thanks to the sacrifice of the Denby NBA, who would face much more financial risks if they weren't playing compared to NBA players. So we do have to commend them for being able to take a stand 
um, and, and do a strike as well too. This was response from the Jacob Blake incident. What happened from that came as a message to all the owners, letting everyone know that as players, they have the power to create change. Um, and that I think the message was, you won't get entertainment from us that allows you to hide under a privileged blanket and ignore systemic racism happening in this country and continues to happen, being under this bubble. Um, they, I believe that the NBA and the WNBA were the ones that lit the fuse for professional sports, as I think was Crescenti that highlighted on that. We saw uh, across platforms, all these um, professional athletes and their teams taking a stand, a lot of MLB teams leaving Black Lives Matter and leaving, uh, leaving the stadium, not playing their games. So what came out of the strike? What came out of the strike? Um, did anything come out of it? Were the critiques saying that this is the right form of protest or that they're just privileged athletes that shouldn't get into politics, um, weren't going to do any good? Well, what came out of that was they established a social justice coalition focusing on increased access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform, converting arenas to voting stations for safe in-person voting option for communities vulnerable to COVID, can't confirm that the Staples Center will be officially turned into a voting site for the November elections. Um, league will work with players and network partners to create and include advertising sports in each NBA playoff game, dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement and in national and local election, elections, raising awareness around voter access and opportunities. Mind you, with all that had happened, that all happened in the span of 48 hours. Something elected officials, um, and I know this is much harder to do because you have to get bills out, you have to get the votes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for people to say that this isn't the right way to protest, my question, and I know they don't ever have the answers for it, what is the right way to protest? Because obviously that was the right way because they got the outcomes that they wanted. The players know they have the power to tell their owners, you have an, ob you have an, the moral, you have the power to make those changes with the money that you have. And so given that 48 hours as the players come together and made those changes, how is this the wrong way to protest when they are making more positive reform, more ways for voting that suppress voters for years and years to happen, but this is the wrong way to protest? It's just continuing to denounce systemic racism in this country, continuing to denounce black and brown bodies being killed at the wrongful hands of police officers. So I really commend the players. I love what happened and I was totally fine if this strike um, prolonged the playoffs or even canceled the season, because this is for the betterment, betterment of our country. Um, so I just wanted to pull out those facts and, and give the, the listeners that revolving cycle that continues to happen and, and how our critics will continue to persist in saying, this is the wrong way, they shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point there is, you know, people questioning, oh, what's the right way to protest? Well. Protest is supposed to make you uncomfortable, right? That's sort of the mm -hmm. point of it. It's an uncomfortable conversation that we have to have when it comes to this. So taking a kneel for the national anthem. Oh, well, how dare you respect, disrespect that flag and the troops? All right, well, how about we uh, have a peaceful march uh, through downtown uh, to raise awareness? Oh, well, you're blocking traffic. You're you know, inconveniencing people, blah, 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 even though they're using their First Amendment rights. And then people are like, well, how would you rather do it? And I see people... Uh, well, go on CNN and do an interview. Okay, yeah, go do an interview with Barbara Walters in prime time. But then as soon as you have that, then people are like, well, uh, yeah, but you see Chicago? Uh, so there's always these outs that people are going to use to cover up for whatever bigotry or just misconceptions that they might have.
Yeah, and I think it's crazy too. I mean, Wish, you talked a little bit about the history of, of protesting in sports. And I know it was, uh, I think it was like the early 1960s that the, it was the only other time that NBA games had been postponed due to protests. And it was in like 1961, Bill Russell mm-hmm. was protesting, you know, like racial issues. So it's absolutely crazy that here we are, what, 60 years later, and these players are still feeling the need to protest the same issues that they were having back in the 60s. It's, it's kind of jaw-dropping to know that we have come not as far as we should have in that much time. Wish, I, I want to get your reaction to, I'm sure you heard of it, um, the uh, president's uh, son-in-law there, uh, Jared Kushner, going on and basically saying, oh, well, these guys are lucky to have jobs uh, in response to uh, the players boycotting those few days there. Uh, what, what was your thoughts when you heard that? If you heard that, right? Yeah, he said they're yeah, lucky no, that did. they can just take the night off. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know, adding on to that too, I think from Kushner, um, also uh, Vice President Pence, uh, chief, what, what is his chief of staff or someone within his? I could have sworn it was chief of staff, and you know, I don't want to be labeling the wrong person within the administration, but also said that um, it was like an annoyance for him, like he didn't. He said, "Oh, they're protesting." I don't think we're all going to care about this. Something along those lines is like, how could you say that? Like, again, leadership, where is it? I still can't find it. Like, how are you not acknowledging issues that are raising your, some of your most prominent athletes, like they, everyone dreams of winning um, an NB finals trophy. Everyone dreams of that, being able to have a title for their team and being able to risk it all on the line, already in a bubble, already away from all their family, no fans, and being able to, again, put it all on hold, how, how can you not go deeper than that and say, geez, why are they protesting? We, sir, we might have to take a deeper look into this about um, the demands that they're listing and, and the issues that are raising. It's just, for some reason, systemic racism um, for the leaders right now in this country and that opposition only tells me they're privileged and that the issue be, that is happening upon black and brown bodies is not a priority of ours. And that it continues to be the narrative. And it's just so unfortunate that Kushner, the way he put it, well, they're lucky to have jobs. Well, dude, how about you, how about you actually go a little bit deeper and, and, and see why they're even doing that to begin with? Because people don't just do that for nothing. You know, this is, this is the sport they love. They're not just going to stop for nothing. There's, there's something deeper than basketball that's happening here. It's really rich to hear a guy who had a silver spoon in his mouth his whole entire life uh, talking about uh, players who are immensely more talented than he could ever dream of. He's just in that position because he knows he's got a big daddy, right? Mm -hmm. And these players are out here doing more for voting rights for the people of this country than this administration. That's what it appears to. And you know, don't sit there and point to me and say, oh, black unemployment is up high. And look at this criminal justice reform that we did that I have no idea what's inside this package. Like, no, these players are very clearly doing more than the executive branch of the United States of America. And that's, that's a sad state of affairs, honestly. And then it all kind of comes back to what we said earlier, how there's something like this, like a boycott, they they didn't play one game could really just piss so many people off. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me that things like this really do offend people and they really do get upset about it. Like, yeah, it sucked that we didn't get to watch one of the games. They ended up playing again, but they're just so upset that it's like, they're not doing it their way. They're, 
basically it's like as the viewer you want you want the players to do whatever you say and it's just like that's not going to happen so mm-hmm. just kind of get over it and just and just understand why they're doing this but at the same time people are so so dumb that they don't want to understand why they're doing something like this and even when they go into detail and explain why they're doing it then it comes down to this is not the right way to do it and it's just like there's no right way to do things well and those are the same people that had said oh i'm done with the nba like you know a month or so ago when they (laughs) were coming out with all this stuff so if you're done with the nba like oh i thought you guys weren't watching anymore but now when they're protesting a game like oh now you're watching again all of a sudden so i'm sure they'll be done with the nba again and you know next season there'll be some other they'll have Black Lives Matter on the court again, and then they'll be angry about it and again say they're done with the NBA for the fifth time in the last four yeah, years. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Ben Shapiro is sitting there watching Heat Pacers at 1 o'clock. Yeah, I'm sure you are, Ben. <laughs> I think you guys brought up a good point, too, about I, I think it was Wish kind of hitting on how, you know, these guys work their whole lives to get to the point where they can win a championship. And I, I think it, like, really speaks loudly to the willingness of what these guys are willing to give up when – I mean, you have the three best teams in the NBA right now that everyone thinks could win a title are the Bucks, the Clippers, and the Lakers. And the Bucks are the ones who, you know, you know, protested the game and started this whole thing. So they could have blown up their championship season. Then, you know, later that night in the talks with the players, like LeBron and the Lakers and the Clippers lead the walkout of the meeting because they hadn't come up with a plan. And I, I mean, I really do think it was like that moment where – the owners and everyone in the NBA was kind of like, Oh shit, these guys are actually serious. Like, cause like, I think it was Udonis Haslam that said, if the Lakers and the Clippers are walking out on the season, then there is no season. Like these guys know the power that they have and they used it in an incredible way with what they just accomplished. Yeah. And they couldn't have done this being without the games, right? Like they had some cards to play being, that was their leverage. Yeah. Yeah. So they have incredible leverage. And also the dynamic in terms of ownership and players is just so different, so night and day with the NBA and, say, the NFL. Um, Mm -hmm. It's more of a partnership with the owners and the players in the NBA. With the NFL, I I don't think Jerry Jones views that as a partnership with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Right. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate with the NFL. I mean, we saw it with Cap. I mean, he was – court the lawsuit showed that there was found to be negligence and and uh you know keeping him away from the league because they were scared about his protest that was he was leading a very peaceful protest that i keep hearing that there needs to be peaceful protests uh but that just that factor of oh he's going to raise more awareness about what's happening in this country and it's just to me it's just so disheartening that you know people continue to to play these protests as a a political stunt um where it's just in reality it's just people um, shedding light on an issue of wanting black people to live equally as their white counterparts, plain and simple, and stop getting killed for being unarmed or in any intent, um, just continuing to be subject to this this violence that's not necessary whatsoever. So it's it's really just frustrating to continue to see this criticism about, you know, they shouldn't be doing this. Well, what should they be doing? Or what have you done to at least enlighten yourself on this situation? I know that we talk about the NFL and I know that they're going to trip over their own two feet when it comes to this situation and how to deal with players when these incidences do arise. But can we talk about the WNBA for like a hot second and just how hard they've been going with this and what they've been doing all summer? Like, holy cow, I know they have a smaller spotlight, but they 
don't care what you think. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, um, not for, at all. For those that don't know, I mean, the WNBA players came out in their their shirts that said Jacob Blake, and they literally had, like, bullet holes on the back of the shirts. And, you know, they've been really critical, one of them, of their own owner who is a, you know, Republican congresswoman. And Yeah, that's right. They, uh, they endorsed her opponent. Yeah. It's <laughs> <Which is laughs> insane to think about. Along with the, NBA, the WNBA, though, I think Kenny Smith said this on um, NBA on TNT or on Inside NBA. He was like, he was talking about the WNBA and basically telling people like, like the WNBA has been protesting for like ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been having to deal with these issues nonstop when it comes to equal pay, when it comes to women's rights and now social injustice and all this stuff. And they really are the ones that have kind of led everything. Like they've been the ones that have been kind of the leaders of all this. And you also, you got to applaud them because they've been having to deal with this stuff for years now. And I mean, it sucks that they have to keep dealing with it, but I mean, people don't understand that they see the, they see the NBA, they see the NFL protesting and stuff like that. But you also got to look and look back and the WNBA has been really leading this group. Yeah, and for yeah. the people that say that, you know, that they're tired of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm done with the NBA, I'm done with the WNBA because they're protesting, like, those people are running out of sports that they're going to be able to watch because, like, I mean, we saw the MLB come along, the NHL come along. I would be really surprised if, you know, when the NFL season kicks off, if those players aren't all doing something. I mean, they even announced, I think, this last week that the first, that week one of the NFL season is going to have you know, similar coverage to, you know, Black Lives Matter and things like that. So these people are going to start running out of things that they're upset about. And I mean, like politics is in sports. And for the people that say that they want, they don't want politics in sports, they don't not want politics in sports. They just don't like the specific stance that's being taken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll sit there and uh, if the president comes out for the coin flip at the 50 yard line, they're all for it. But uh, God forbid someone, you know, take a knee, uh, you know, during the national anthem, which is the ultimate sign of respect for a fallen soldier, you know, they have a problem with. So I, I will never understand some people's stance on this. I, I mean, with that being said, I think, you know, the biggest thing in what the NBA has done and uh, is being able to have their arenas be open for voting. Uh, I think that is just so is huge um, for marginalized communities and having a place such a big venue like that. Hopefully more arenas across the country will be able to get approved by their local clerks. I don't exactly know the whole process, but I I do know uh, initially that Staples Center has been approved already for that. Um, And so that just, again, um, to people who listen to this podcast, you know, make sure that you're registered to vote and that you vote not only in the national election, but also in your local election, because that's uh, a lot where change really comes from is who you who you decide as your local electors um, to make sure that we are you're doing your research and and you're voting at least because that is one of the prime things that we can do within this country if you're old enough to vote is making sure that you can vote and make sure where you're able to turn your ballot if you have mail in making sure that you have all the right things set up before November comes. Yeah, and look into voting early because there's you know with the pandemic going on a lot of places mm-hmm. are doing early voting and you know best to give yourself as much time as possible to be able to get it done because it seems like your government's doing everything they can to slow down voting this time around. I just want to wrap up this segment here by saying 
that racism hasn't gone away. It didn't disappear with the Civil Rights Act. It didn't disappear when Martin Luther King Jr. gave that speech. It just evolved over time like a virus. It learned how to survive in the shadows, right? I just finished this podcast from a podcast called Slow Burn, and the season was on David Duke. And it was really scary to see some comparisons of what's happening today and seeing how a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan can rise to power and nearly become governor of the state of Louisiana, nearly become a senator in the United States Congress. And, you know, this idea that, you know, racism only exists in the N-word, in the swastika, in the white hood. That's just not true. It's evolved over time. It's gotten a clean cut look to it now. It's not as easy as it is to pick out. So we need to take everything that we see in these videos and really question what we are seeing and you know, have that conversation of systemic racism because it is not as easy to find as it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. Well said, Chrisani, well said. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for kind of listening to the pod. A few more things before we wrap up. Uh, you know, one thing we always love to do with our guests is talk sandwiches with them because the three of us love sandwiches. And I mean, who doesn't? But, you know, Wish, I, I, it sounds like you've brought your, your top three sandwich list, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have been. It's only an, an East Coast, uh, mid-Atlantic region spot, but uh, a grocery store called Publix. Um, <laughs> makes probably the best sandwiches I ever had. I've never been to a Publix only, only when I was in um, Virginia. Uh, so I went there and I had a buffalo chicken sandwich. Uh, I mean, geez, probably the best sandwich I've ever had. That put me into a coma quick, uh, a little bit unforgivable in the toilet or later on, but geez, worth every bite of it. Uh, so that's Chris Eddie, was that the one that was on your top list? Oh, yeah. Oh, that chicken that specific sandwich? You get the chicken tender sub, but tell them to put it in the buffalo uh, yep, sauce yep, yep. first. Yep. Yeah, they wow, put in a little. Ba- they put a little bag and they shake it up. Shoot. Uh, second sandwich probably going to be a Popeyes chicken sandwich. I mean, the the anticipation for that when it first came out, the hype, you know, striking out. I even went to the the motherland of Popeyes in Louisiana. Still no chicken sandwich. Had to wait two more months before I even got my hands on that son of a gun. But geez, man, that had some flavor to it, especially the spicy one. That's got to be a spicy one kicks. Yeah. I mean, so you're a, you're a Popeye's over Chick-fil-A guy, huh? Oh, buddy. I mean, the chicken was twerking (laughs) in my mouth. (laughs) I mean, all right, give us your number one. No, no. Publix is my number one. I'm going down. Oh, going reverse. Okay. 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 Give us your number three. Oh yeah. Uh, number three. So you guys can, you think sandwiches can also be like burgers? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let well, it slide. Uh, Just gosh, I only got, uh, I was going to say, uh, steak and shake. Oh, steak okay. and shake is good. Yeah. Their steak burgers are, yeah, that's also doing some twerking in the mouth too i mean those things are doing the splits well we putting that one up on the poll is a burger a sandwich 
Mm. A lot we'll of, lot of, <laughs> lot of arguments with that. We'll let the listeners decide. Hey, and speaking of polls, everyone, uh, we are down to the finals of our Pullman Moscow food bracket. So make sure you go out this week and vote for either the Coug or South Fork to see who is the best restaurant in the Pullman Moscow region. Wow, that's what it came down to? Yeah. Any, any on there that you were heartbroken to see go, Wish? Uh, I mean, I tweeted out at the beginning and then I knew it closed down. Was it CD's Barbecue? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That was a hole-in-the-wall staple in Moscow. Oh, geez, that was some pretty good barbecue. But I was sad to hear that it actually went out of business. But that would have been that sl- the sleeper to go through. But I that am really su- run for sure. I'm really surprised that like uh, the Coug beat out like Red Bento. To be honest, I I always heard people going to Red Bento like every weekend. So yeah, yeah I, the Coug has I, its fan base. I'm surprised True. South Fork made it this far. I've never had South Fork, but it beat. Birch and Barley, Cougar Country, La Casa. Like, it beat some strong contenders to get to the finals. South Fork really made their way when they started doing, um, what was it? They were taking the to-go truck and putting it in Greek Row. That was just a game changer. (laughs) They also had that Philly cheesesteak sandwich with the Cougar Gold on it that was just woof. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. Wish, uh, always happy to have you on, man. Anything else you want to give to the listeners before we head out of here? Uh, you know, I do appreciate coming back on the show. Hopefully I'll get invited for a third time. Hopefully there's a, <laughs> there's a little bit more change. Maybe next time, um, who knows? Lakers could be champions, but uh, we'll see. I do appreciate the playoffs being back. It's great to, that we actually have some sports again, but also using their platform to make changes. Thanks again. Uh, for just talking about those issues because I think a lot of times a lot of people will try to you know go above them and try to ignore that those are even happening in the country so I applaud you know Alex, Eric and yourself Zach for taking upon yourselves to continue to raise light to these issues as they I, I think they are deemed most important right now within our country so thanks again for having me as always go Lakers it's gonna be a fun second round the Blazers fans they went running they're still running but that don't matter. It's in the past. I'm ready for what's happening in the future, baby. So let's go. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Zero to 100. As always, if you want more content, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and make sure you subscribe to Zero to 100. And while you're there, make sure you rate and review us. And before we let you go this week, we want to leave you with some words from the man himself, Chadwick Boseman. That's that 70 million um, group of young people who will come out and vote. I believe in you. I think you can turn um, our nation around. You can make it live up to what it's supposed to do. It's, it's not just that you're the future, you're actually the present. You're actually um, what we're supposed to be at this moment. And the fact that you have a voice, the fact that you can have a say, you know, you vote for whoever you want for, vote for what you believe in. But I believe that the majority of you can see what's actually happening and you want things to change so i say all that to say you know thank you in advance for um for your input and the victory um that is to come